I'm Charlie Melcher, founder and director of the Future of Storytelling, and I'd like to welcome you to the FOSS podcast. My guest this week is multi-talented performing artist, keynote speaker, and strategic performance coach, Victoria Labam. In her multi-hyphenate creative career, Victoria's worn every hat, from writer to actor, from film producer to comedian, and beyond. Perhaps her greatest strength, however, is helping people discover their own talents. As a highly sought-after performance coach, Victoria has advised everyone from Fortune 100 CEOs to New York Times bestselling authors and Hollywood celebrities on how to discover and showcase their unique talents and perform at the highest level. Victoria's new book, Risk Forward, outlines her philosophy on leaning into uncertainty and embracing risk in order to go beyond what's been done before. Having read the book myself, I can say with full certainty that the wisdom Victoria shares is indispensable to any storyteller looking to find their voice and their own creative path. I'm excited and delighted to welcome Victoria Labam to the Future of Storytelling podcast. Victoria Labam, welcome to the Future of Storytelling podcast. Charlie, it's so fun to be here. I think we have to come clean right up front. Okay. You and I know each other way back. We've known each other since we were kids. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to say congratulations. The book you've just written, Risk Forward, Embracing the Unknown and Unlocking Your Hidden Genius, is brilliant. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Here's a book about advice, a plan, steps you can take to help with with indecision or struggling. But what I really felt on an, in another level is that I was reading your autobiography. Mm. That I felt like it was so personal and that this, the lessons that you were sharing had come the hard way. Tell us a little bit about your path and how that journey has led to this book. For me, and when you and I knew each other as we were young and growing up, I, I didn't know exactly where things would lead, but I started in the performing arts, in comedy and acting and writing and doing my own one-woman shows, studying mime. I was all over the place, and people kept saying, you know, what, what are you going to do with this? But little by little, things unfolded, and I had an opportunity to help speakers. They said, could you show us what you do on stage with storytelling? Uh, with engaging an audience? Could you show us how to use our bodies in a physically expressive way? One thing led to the next, working with speakers, then with executives, then with companies and teams all over, all around the world. And, and that's part of the message of the book. I made a lot of mistakes along the way, mostly because I gave myself a hard time. And so the book is really meant to relieve that pressure that people put on themselves to know, to be clear, to have a plan, and instead let things evolve a little more organically. I love the fact that you were one of these people who was a curious learner. Again, you were exploring so many different creative paths. You just mentioned mime, acting. Uh, I think you did some improv, music, film production, working in all of these different storytelling media and soaking it all up. But at the same time, you were, you were sort of suffering because you weren't 
focused on one, or you didn't seem to be just uh, achieving in one area, as many of us feel the pressure to do. What gave you the, the insight or the confidence, or what were the learnings along the way that helped you to realize that that was all part of your path, you know, your journey? I think it was really some extraordinary mentors. I credit a lot of, of wonderful people in my life. But one of the stories to, to your question was this wonderful photographer, someone you probably know about from your past, Charlie, named Elliot Porter. He was a great color photographer. And I had gone to him in my 20s. I had the opportunity to meet him. And I was debating between X-Path and Y-Path. And he looked at me, and he was in his 80s at the time. And he said, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it. And it was such a relief. And that's one of the quotes in the book that actually came from outside of me, but most of them are from my own creation. And yet that was a huge shift in my perception of, of my path, really, and of the story of my life. Tell me about some of your other mentors. I know you had, um, you quote Marcel Marceau in yes. the book. He was an extraordinary mentor because not only was he a brilliant mime, he was a beautiful artist. He has a whole painting career, uh, lithographs and these stunning color, full page, beautiful imagery. Uh, he was also a great historian. He knew about other cultures. So he taught us not just about the art of mime, but about humanity the nobility of, of, of the spirit and how to really be an incredible artist in all kinds of ways. But there was one term, which is actually the term from which the book's title is born. When he was teaching us, he would always say, risque avant, which was risk in advance. And that was a type of movement where you had your weight forward. And I came to think of that as a philosophy for life. And I trademarked it, risk forward, how we can move forward with our heart open. One of those big lessons of, of your book is this idea that, that there's richness in the unknowing, right? As opposed to what we normally feel, which is that we're, we're panicked by, un, by not knowing. And, and that's such the common experience for anyone who's creative. Well, I don't care what medium you're working in. If you're trying to create something, there is that moment of facing that metaphoric blank page and terror, <laughs> or, or, or maybe you even started, but now you're just lost with where this story is going to go, where this project is going to go. And, and one of the things that is just so powerful that, that in your book or in your, in your theory or thesis is that that's a, a great source of richness, right? Like, don't feel like you have to get out of that right of way. Don't feel like you're failing because you're not clear or that you didn't start with a, a sense of where you're going to end, but rather kind of embrace it and, and learn from it and, and appreciate it. Am I getting that right, first of all? Am I? Yeah, exactly that. Because, you know, we're trained, it really indoctrinated in our culture to consider that when we're in a phase of not knowing, it's bad. You're kind of subpar. Oh, you're indecisive. Oh, you don't know where you're going. And it's something people try to hide. There's shame around it, or they try to get out of it as quickly as possible. And I think there's so much benefit there because if we have the tenacity and really the, the courage and the strength to stay in that, not unnecessarily long, not to wallow in it, but to have the, the really the inner stamina to, to, to deal with it, um, what we can then look for will be a better solution. Certainly, there are times when a deadline is a necessary element, but often in the creative process, it's not, and in the creative process of our lives. So to be able to hold out and not go for the formula. I mean, in the world that we live in today, 
this seems like such an important set of skills, not just for the creative process, but for navigating a world that's constantly changing. I mean, if we thought we knew where we were headed, if we thought we had a plan, something's going to show up and screw up that plan. <laughs> and we need to be able to move through that fog of uncertainty or that, that confusion and, and be comfortable with it. So I do love the, the message that it's to be sensitive to the things that get you excited, right? To be aware of what you're drawn to and to give yourself permission to follow those things. Yeah, yeah. And it, it takes courage, you know, because you get a lot of questions from people. Like I said earlier, you know, what are you doing that for? Where's that going to go? How's it going to make money? What's the plan? And so, you know, I, I uh, years ago, um, being married to someone who was involved with the Muppets, I had been lucky enough to be around some of the original Muppet performers, and I thought we should film this. I mean, I didn't know. I'd never made a documentary film. I didn't grow up watching the Muppets. But we followed that curiosity, that wisp, and it it led to something extraordinary, which ended up being a documentary film called Muppet Guys Talking, which ended up at South by Southwest, and the press was all over it. Who would have thought, though? You know, it was just an idea. It was just something I thought was worthwhile and curious. And I, I feel so often in life, parents uh, dissuade their kids. You know, why are you going to do that? And that the curiosities can be unusual. You know, they might be hard to identify a path forward for, but I think we need to honor that and let them flourish and unfold. This idea that you can move forward uh, without knowing the end is not something that we traditionally think of as being okay when you're creating a piece of work, right? You, you, you Let's say you're writing a script for a, for a movie or you're writing a book. I mean, the first lesson everyone tells you is, well, you've got to know what the end is. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to figure that out before you can get too far down the path. Uh, do you feel that it's okay? And how do you recommend people go down a, a creative adventure without knowing where they're headed? Well, the opening line of the book is, um, some people in life know exactly what they want to achieve. This is a book for the rest of us. So on the note of like not knowing where you're going, I think this is really about how to handle those moments in between. Because I say clarity comes and goes, right? It's like the weather, really. You know, sometimes we have it. I'm not saying clarity is never good, but we get those moments. And it's project dependent. I mean, if you have a due date for something, that's a certain scenario. And then you've got to move it along. And sometimes creative process accelerates organically when there's a deadline. You know, there's something about that deadline that brings us and snaps us into shape often. What I would say is really more just if you have the window of time, whether that's for minutes or months, whatever the project scale is, to really explore a little more before you find that path forward and commit, you'll know when it's right. And it's when it's a little off. And there's a section I call the iceberg of indecision. And to honor that, like when you're in that, I don't know, that's worth paying attention to. And our culture tells us power through, go forward, you know, pull up your bootstraps and, you know, pull yourself up and move. And I think that mentality can be damaging to the creative process. Is that also that period part of what you referred to as a circle of confusion? Yeah. Tell us what that term is and where it comes from. Well, years ago, I, I, when I was first starting to study filmmaking, I, I took a course. And uh, as we were learning about lenses and cameras, the teacher said, well, the lens is trying to find focus. And it's in that phase where the circles are blurry. We've all seen that. He said it's called a circle of confusion. And I just love that because it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It's on the way to focus that you go through a period of confusion until you find form. 
you do a lot of coaching with, with executives. I noticed how many best-selling authors you've helped to give a talk, to, to be on stage, to get up there in front of a group of people and communicate their ideas. What are some of the insights if you're trying to help somebody find their voice? I think risking for it is the basis of giving voice because you have to step forward and share your ideas uh, if you're going to move people. And it has to come from within and it has to be something you truly believe. And oftentimes I think speeches and presentations are manufactured from the outside in. I see that even in book writing or people research the market and say, what do people want to hear? Instead of saying, what do I want to say that I feel would be important and valuable and well-received? And so, you know, they think I'm going to start talking about gestures and eye contact. And I say, that's the last part. Gestures and eye contact and vocal intonation, that's like sprinkles on a cake. You know, that's the finale. Uh, I say, if the cake is lopsided, there's no amount of icing and sprinkles that are going to fix it. And that the, the structure, like there are five parts to rock through them. The first is through line. That's the driving force. Like why are you even giving this presentation? You know, whether it's to your team or to an arena, uh, uh, you know, uh, on, on, a, on a webinar. What is, not, not just, oh, I have a 40-minute slot or I've been asked to update team, but like truly from, from a more noble intent, what is your driving force? So it starts with that. And then it goes through content structure, prep, and delivery. And I always teach, like, content structure and prep are like the three legs of a stool because you can have great content and structure, but if your delivery is funky, you know, it's going to fall apart. You can have great delivery and be charismatic and great structure, but if you have nothing to say, content. So you need content, structure, and delivery are key, those three, to a great anything. And then prep is, is throughout. So these are all really important because if we can't, um, first off, come from within and really say something that we truly believe matters, everything will fall apart. I also really appreciated your lesson in the book about helping uh, or discovering those things that are passions of yours and letting them be part of the way you tell your stories whether that's Legos or flower arranging or whatever it is, that you, you are understanding that your own interests and passions are part of what will make uh, your cake have its specific flavor and, and character. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's a story not in the book, which I'll share here about that. Uh, I was working with, I work with Microsoft, Starbucks, PayPal, the executive teams there, and I was working with a president at Microsoft years ago named Bob Moo. His name was Bob Muglia, but they called him Bob Moo, M-U, in the industry. And he and I were chit-chatting, you know, the way you begin, we would meet by Zoom or video, Skype at that time. And uh, he had this big presentation to 8,000 people in an arena event, and we were preparing it together. And he'd just come back from Machu Picchu, and he was talking about, oh my gosh, my daughter was there, you know, she's 16, and she was upset because she couldn't get cell phone service, and I couldn't believe it, and oh my gosh, you know, really. Anyway, then he said, sorry, Victoria, let's, let's get to the coaching session. And I said, no, no, Bob, that story, that is fantastic. Let's share that at this event. And it's such a great example of you know, how far we've come in technology, the expectations of teens. And so something that was this outside story from his personal passion of traveling and family, we wove it in and it humanized him. It got a big laugh. It, it put things in perspective. And so that's an example of just taking a personal story that we often think, oh, this doesn't belong and finding an application to our expertise. 
we recently had on the podcast Vince um, Kadlubeck, who's the co-founder of Meow Wolf. And he was talking about this idea that the world is built around predictability because it's safe. The world is kind of constructed for predictability and safety, but it builds out, it, it basically programs out um, the unexpected and the opportunity for real creativity and um, imagination and the opportunity to, to create things anew. And so I, I do feel in an odd way, I was seeing this connection between your work and their work because your message is also about being able to, um, rather than take that safe step or know that the world is on a straight line with a railing and, and security and good lighting, you know, instead you're helping people feel comfortable about navigating through all sorts of unknowns or all sorts of possibilities and to embrace it and to celebrate it and to realize that that's how they'll find their original genius. So how else can we encourage people to, um, to break out of those boxes, to, to find their own uh, voice and, and do things that are original? Because I guess in the end of the day, that's what this is really about, right? It's, it's about being original and creative. It's really not one thing, uh, as you well know better than anyone. It's, it's, and that's the intention of the book. It's, it's a series of principles from the arts. And you can pick any one of these up, whatever feels right. could be following what interests you and that curiosity. And there are a few other questions I ask in the book, all designed to be prompts. Because uh, I don't feel like I have the formula. I don't have the answer. I just have suggestions uh, and guidelines, right? There is no formula. You, are, you the reader, you're the formula. One thing you do do very nicely is that you do give permission and encouragement. And that's a huge part of it, right? Just to feel safe to take that step, even though there's somebody in accounting and there's somebody in management you know, or planning or operations who's saying don't do it. <laughs> Something that, that brings to mind a comment that a few people have made like, oh, is this, you know, do you need to be in a certain position or job to be able to risk forward or a certain economic uh, sort of security place. And I, I feel like that's, that's not a requirement because you can do it in a small way. A risk forward can be what I call a micro risk. You know, it could just be you going through your Netflix channel, picking out a different type of movie you're going to watch because somehow it piques your curiosity and your interest. So it could be any of that. It could be really taking on an enormous initiative that's, that's you know, takes resources and time from your organization, but it could also be something small that you have an idea to do, uh, to try out some project privately even. You know, I'm just going to work on this little novel without telling anyone. I'm just going to you know, study a little music online without telling anyone. That's what we're talking about. And often those small things can lead to much, 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 much bigger ventures. I was very struck by another quote in the book. This one wasn't from you. It was from Ariana Huffington. It's, don't limit yourself to your imagination because the world will bring you more than you can possibly imagine. It was a important reminder. I think sometimes creative people feel that they need to be the source of their creativity, that it sort of has to be born from within, that if I, if I sit here long enough, I'll have that stroke of genius and I'll come up with it. And this was just a great reminder that we need to or we should allow ourselves to find inspiration uh, in so many sources. This idea that we need to, that we can find inspiration and, and sources from so many other places in the world. So 
like you, you know, working in the arts, but also in entrepreneurship and business, these three worlds I work between entrepreneurship, arts, and executive land, I, I find that people so often talk about the importance of imagination, which is no doubt essential. But like you said, we feel like we have to come up with it. And then we don't feel up to the task. And part of what the book is also covering and risking forward is that it unfolds as we go, right? It becomes, you know, we get clearer, more ideas come as we move forward. And so the world brings us things. We come up with things. We, we get inspired by things, as you said. And most successful people will tell you that what they ended up creating was beyond what they thought. One of the things that I appreciate about your life's lesson and of the book is that Rome wasn't built in a day. That you don't have to have this time frame of, of immediate. Things that might feel like they're not being fulfilled for some long period of time. Talk a little bit about time frame and this, the urgency to, to get things done or, or to allow them to have space. Yeah. We tend to pack a lot into our lives. You know, it's like parents who jam their kids with activity after activity after activity. It's the violin lesson into the soccer lesson into the, you know, eh, you know learning Mandarin. And so what happens is there's no, there's no breathing space. And there's no processing time. And so for each of us with a creative project to, 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 to remove things from our schedule whenever possible, and it could be, honestly, like I see people with magazine subscriptions and they're piled up and it creates this burden. I'm like, don't, don't have that subscription. Like you did that to yourself. Don't have the extra two homes if it's stressing you out. Don't have the extra clothes in your closet, like the belongings and the subscriptions and the commitments and the committees, that stuff. Like the more we can leave space for that creativity to develop, because then we don't have time. We don't have the time. And the book, as you know, Charlie, from looking at it, there's a lot of white space in the book. Like there are pages where there's nothing. There's just what we call a walking character, a little figure with some dots. There are pages that only have a few words on them. And that's one of the comments I've gotten from so many early readers is, oh my gosh, I could think, I could let it process. Like you could hear something and let it sink in. And you know, when I work with companies and teams on their events doing the, the Rock the Room coaching, one of the things that they'll do, a big mistake is they'll plan the entire day. They're like, okay, we're gonna start at seven with a breakfast. Then we're gonna have an eight o'clock instruction by the CEO. Then head's gonna go to 8.30. Then we'll have the keynote speaker from 8.30 to 10. Then we'll take a 10 minute break. I'm like, overscheduled. So part of the time question is really how can we give ourselves time so that we can organically let the project unfold. And then back to the deadline, it's really specific to what you're facing. And it's, it's even more intense because of social media and because people tend to curate their lives to project only the success. So then we sort of see what we're doing. We think we're screwing up. So we're set up to feel bad about ourselves. And this book basically says, you're doing great. Keep going. And listen to your internal voice more than all those external pressures or, or what you think you're supposed to be. Exactly. I'm curious to know what you think of as your legacy. The book kind of ends with a little discussion about legacy. I'm not sure what it's going to be. You know, this is an odd analogy and an odd way to answer your question, but it's, it's a pertinent one, which is that years ago, I, I was walking across the West Side Highway in Lower Manhattan, and there were a bunch of cars there parked waiting for the light to change. And I 
being a performer, I thought, oh, I'll do a little dance. I'll do something funny to entertain the people, right? So I sort of shimmied across the street and did a little jig and I got a few smiles. And then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to like do this in a more serious way and, and film it? And a friend said, well, if you're going to do it, like, why don't you pretend that you're like a businesswoman so that people don't know that you're actually just joking around. Like if I'm dressed in my workout clothes, it's clear. So we went to Park Avenue and I put on high heels and a suit and we had the hidden camera and I filmed this not knowing where it was going to lead. And, you know, we turned it into a film. It became the closing part of my keynote. And I would spend all this time mastering the messaging of my keynote and all these points. And then for the last two minutes, I would show this film called The Park Avenue Shuffle. And at the end, that often would get more comments than anything else. People talk about the freedom, the expression, the playfulness, how they held themselves in, how they wanted to do. And it was such a lesson in some of the things that we create will touch people in ways we can never imagine. We have intentions, but I think we have to keep just doing what we love, what lights us up and see where it leads. And I hope that many of the different things I've done will, will live on long after I'm gone. I was touched to tears at the end of the book. I had the pleasure of knowing your mother and your honoring of her so beautifully at the end was a great, I guess, acknowledgement of her legacy and also uh, a good example because it, it speaks to her understanding of, of what was motivating her life and, and her ability to pass some of that on to you and also just a beautiful message for all of us at the end of the book. We don't have to be perfect. <laughs> it's not always about being perfect and, and to do what we can uh, with what we have. But I just, again, being somebody whose mother passed away uh, and who has a very soft spot when it comes to conversations about moms, I just thought it was a beautiful way for you to end it. Most people start their book by attributing the book to somebody, dedicating the book to somebody, and I thought it was a beautiful touch for you in a way to sort of make that dedication part of the, the conclusion in a, in a way. So Victoria, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. It's been a real pleasure to get just time to talk with an old friend and to leave me feeling so proud of the amazing work that you've done and the way that you've made a difference in the world. And um, thank you for everything you do. Well, I'm crying here. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm very touched. If you enjoyed this conversation with Victoria half as much as I did, I strongly encourage you to buy her new book, Risk Forward. You can get it by visiting this episode's page on the Future of Storytelling website at fost.org or by following the link in the episode's description or ordering it online. I'd like to thank Victoria for joining me and a special thanks to our talented friends at Charts and Leisure. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our show. And if you're an Apple subscriber, please consider giving us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Every single one helps. I hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on. Mm -hmm.